Welcome. This is the Way Home Podcast. A podcast built around conversations on church, community, and culture. And now, here's Dan Darling. Well, welcome to the Way Home Podcast. Today, we have a very special broadcast today. We are talking to Jason Casper, who is a journalist for Christianity Today and several other publications, and he is based in Cairo, Egypt. And what makes Jason's work really intriguing is that he's writing on the plight of Middle Eastern Christians in in some of these countries like Syria and Iraq, where the uh, Christians are under threat, and also writing about kind of what the reaction is among Christians, say, in places like Egypt. Many of our brothers and sisters over there are in peril in some of these places because of uh, the threat of uh, terrorist groups like ISIS. And uh, Jason really helps us kind of unpack uh, some of what's going on over there. I asked him a lot of questions, particularly about what we should think about ISIS um, in terms of uh, Islam and how should we th- uh, be thinking through that terrorist group, but also how we can pray and how we can act and how we can really stand with our brothers and sisters uh, in the Middle East. You know, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, we're concerned with religious liberty here in, in North America, and we, we do a lot of work on behalf of of Christians here in North America, but we're also very concerned about religious liberty overseas, where in many places it's imperiled and people are being martyred for their faith. And so this is a very important conversation. There's a lot of information that he gives here that's very, very helpful, uh, information that you really would only know if you're on the ground in the Middle East reporting on on these types of things. So I really encourage you to just kind of sit back and listen to this great conversation with Jason Casper of Christianity Today. Jason Casper, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Dan. It's nice to be with you. So I wanted to talk to you about some of your reporting for Christianity Today on the plight of Christians in the Middle East. You're based in Cairo, that's correct? That's right. And specifically, you know, just we're hearing a lot more news stories here, people in the States, about kind of the spread of ISIS and some of the threats to Christian communities being driven out. And so... What can you tell us about kind of where things are today? Well, the uh, the news report that has, has taken everybody's attention, of course, in recent days was the uh, beheading of 21 Christians in Libya mm-hmm. about uh, two weeks ago now. And uh, they was done and claimed in a horrific video in which uh, it showed the beheadings of uh, you know, these uh, really just migrant workers, people who were from you know poor villages in Upper Egypt who had traveled to Libya uh, among hundreds you know thousands of Egyptians uh, who who do similar things, but the ISIS affiliate over there uh, kind of had a tip on where these Christians were living. They went searching for them. They turned Muslims down that they could have seized if they wished to, and uh, held them captive. And eventually, just made a huge propaganda show of their death. So that is uh, you know it sent. Egypt into shock, of course. Um, these things really hadn't been happening over in this part of the world to a great degree compared to Syria and Iraq. And in recent days, of course, there's been another uh, kidnapping, seizure of uh, you know about 100 or so um, Christians from the villages in Syria, where ISIS is trying to expand into new regions. Uh, it doesn't seem to be as brutal over there right now for the Christians. There seem to be negotiations and some were released. Um, but, of course, the world is on edge because this group has not taken any 
you know, sympathy for the victims, and uh, you know, it's been very happy to to kill off Muslims and Christians, as well as other people they view as deviant Muslims, uh, the Yazidi community, for example. And it's just a very trying time for Christians over here, and it's uh, it's got the whole region on edge. I think one of the things that that has happened throughout this last year, year and a half or so, is that there's just been an, I would say, kind of an added focus for Christians in the West on the Christian communities in the Middle East. I think for many American Christians, you know, they may not have understood or realized how old these Christian communities are and really, you know, found much in common with them until now. Do you think people are kind of learning more about that over in our part of the world? Yeah, certainly. Um, I know when I grew up, there was a kind of a sense in which, you know, Christianity was a Western expression, that it was mm-hmm. born in the Middle East, and there might have been these, you know, strange remnants of you know, Christianity in pockets over there, but we never thought about it, it didn't raise in our consciousness that that's also part of the body of Christ. Now, as the world has focused its political attention over here, obviously Christians are getting a lot more attention. That's It's very good for uh, the media coverage, the political uh, awareness as a whole, but it's also certainly good for, for Christians in the West to realize that these are brothers and sisters in Christ, for the most part, whose theology often is, is different from you know a, a straight Catholic or a Protestant background that they might grow up in. But, uh, you know, after living over here for, for five years in Egypt, I can definitely testify to Egyptian Christians that uh, they have a deep spirituality and, and mm-hmm. they like Christ, they read the Bible, and there are a lot of commonalities which really unite us far more than they divide us. How would you say the state of Christianity there in Egypt is? You know, there was obviously a lot of unrest for a while there. Are Christians in Egypt feeling, you know, in terms uh, safer right now to practice their Christian faith? I guess that's part one of my question. Part two is, among the Christians you're talking to, are they finding solidarity with the plight of some of the Christians in Syria and Iraq who are under threat? Um, yes, in terms of the second part, uh, the solidarity with Christians. Uh, but that's always been strong. Uh, mm-hmm. The Eastern Christian communities have, you know, they, they have a sense of solidarity that, that predates all of these troubles that have gone on. So there's there's a sense in which, you know, the Coptic Christians who make up the largest Christian population in the Middle East, they are a source of strength for Christianity in this region, and they don't like at all to see how other Christian communities are dwindling and you know, rapidly over the last several years. Going back to the specifics of your first question about how Christianity is doing in Egypt, really right now Christians are... Um, are very pleased with their situation, which is kind of hard to say. Mm-hmm. After the news of this uh, beheading reached out, the uh, the president of Egypt, you know, the very next day he responded in uh, a air campaign to bomb the uh, ISIS affiliates in eastern Libya that were behind it. And he said that part of his reason for doing that was he could not go in good conscience to the Pope of the Coptic Orthodox Church and offer his condolences if he didn't do anything as leader of the country and in support of these Egyptian citizens. And so there's been a lot of focus on these are our common citizens, and and Christians feel like the, the government at this stage in time is really stepping up in its emphasis that this is a community that we have been part of for centuries. As Muslims and Christians, we're one people. Uh, so 
in the international community, of course, there's a lot of division as to whether the current president, Abdul Fattah Sisi, is uh, trying to recreate a dictatorship or an autocracy, uh, whether he is abusing human rights. And all of these are fair questions, of course, that need to be dealt with. But it would be a mistake to understand that Christians are anything but enthusiastic about uh, what he has been able to do with the country and to elevate the position of Christians to something that is uh, really much unheard of in the past few decades. Yeah, that, that's really encouraging. And I'm, I guess a follow-up question to that is, has Egypt become a place where maybe Christians from other regions have, have flooded? Have there been a, a lot of refugees into Egypt? Uh, in terms of uh, Sudanese refugees, there's there's always been a lot there, mm-hmm. both Muslims and Christians. But you know, many who have fled in from uh, you know the past you know, five or ten years. There's also a recent surge in uh, Syrian refugees and Iraqi refugees, mm-hmm. uh, less so than in the neighboring countries, of course. And among them are Christians, but most of them are Muslims. And uh, and the churches here are among those who are the most active in trying to, to care for these refugees as they come in, in association with the United Nations and, and other groups like that. So I, I wouldn't say that Egypt really is the primary place of refuge for a lot of these Syrian communities, but it is a place that has received its fair share, and uh, and many people are, are trying to do their, their best to, to serve these people who are coming with you know, very little. Where is the primary place where refugees are going? I hear a lot about Jordan as one place where some of the Christian communities have fled, or maybe into the uh, into Kurdistan. But wh- mm-hmm. where where are some of the places where most of those refugees are are fleeing? Well, I, I think you've, you've named them really. Uh, Jordan has for a long time been receiving Iraqi refugees uh, back during the time of the, the, the Gulf Wars and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you add to them the, uh, the Syrian conflict and the people fleeing from ISIS. The country has always received refugees. That's part of the ethos of Jordan, that it, it has welcomed people who have come fleeing persecution from other parts of the world, Christians or otherwise. So that is going on, and you know I hear stories about a lot of churches in Jordan that are you know, really working as hard as they can mm-hmm. to receive and process these refugees. Um, the other thing that I've been able to get wind of a lot is really just Kurdistan. And uh, there, in the past of the winter months, where a lot of these uh, refugees were anticipating the, the deep cold, even snow at times in the, in the community up there. But, uh, yeah, the Christian communities of Kurdistan, as well as the government in general, has received lots of refugees and has really benefited from international attention, people who have donated to care for the Christian refugees within the greater population as a whole. And even certain churches in Cairo have you know, wound up, uh, have done fundraising trips, have sent their people, and are going consistently to these areas to bring mattresses, to bring blankets, to bring food packages, mm-hmm. anything that can be done to help you know, care for these communities that are arriving with, with next to nothing as, as they flee for their lives from the ISIS advantage. It seems like a lot of these Muslim countries now are kind of uh, stepping up and, and wanting to to really take on ISIS, given uh, Egypt and Jordan and others that have seen some of their citizens killed by ISIS. Is that a Do you look at that as a positive development in the Middle East? Um, maybe. I mean... If this starts advancing and, and if there is, you know, more uh, war really in the region, right, no matter who's leading it, I would be shy to say that that's ever really a positive development. Right. Um, we're dealing with a lot of bad scenarios here. Mm-hmm. So which of them are the least worse? 
Now, Jordan has stepped up its airstrikes. Uh, Egypt has done an airstrike in Libya, and it has been trying to lead an international call to intervene, really, in Libya, just as it did at the beginning of the crisis back in 2011. And so far, Egypt's efforts to bring in an international coalition to stabilize the situation has been beaten back. And basically, the international community right now wants to see a political situation take hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, Egypt's recognizing that, and they're calling for at least to lift the arms embargo against the legitimate government of Libya, which is really on its uh, shoestring of legitimacy, but they are the one that has received uh, the most recent election and uh, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't extend much authority, but with the hope that we could rearm them, maybe they can assert their authority over a lot of the you know rebels or the revolutionaries or the Islamist militias that are currently piecemealing the country into small little fiefdoms of, of uh, militia operations. So I certainly don't want to recommend in any positive or negative way that uh, you know, Arab countries need military advances to beat back ISIS in its different areas. Um, I, I would say that in my speakings to Christians around the area, both in Egypt and in other regions, that that is a preferred response to anything that would come from abroad. So if there's going to be a military action against ISIS, they would like it to be done primarily by an Arab coalition rather than a Western one. And whether or not it, it will require you know, a, a formal advance on the ground of armies, well, really, I guess the ideal situation is that nations within their sovereignty, you know, the Iraqi army, would be able to reconquer its own legitimate sovereign territory. If they're unable to do that, well, it does seem very dangerous to allow, you know, ISIS to continue to have a foothold in that region and from it to strengthen itself. But dealing with that menace is a very complicated policy statement, and I, I don't envy any of the Western politicians that have to make decisions yeah. on these matters. What do you make of the release of those hostages? I think that surprised a lot of people today to see that's not typical behavior of ISIS. Uh, no, no, it isn't, but... Um, I, I think it can be understood as consistent within an, uh, an ISIS ethos. Mm-hmm. ISIS is operating according to what they understand the standards of the early Muslim community do have been. And so within that ethos and within their understanding of Sharia law, that when you conquer a territory, you are perfectly permitted to go ahead and execute your prisoners of war. Or, if you wish, you can don't, you know, engage in uh, exchanges with them. But there are patterns of jurisprudence set up to facilitate this. Now, when it comes to dealing with Christians, the primary way to see the uh, interaction with that community is that you put them under Jizi attacks. That if they are not actively fighting against you, then you are not allowed to kill them. And uh, what you must do is you must offer them a chance to convert to Islam. If they refuse that, then you must force them to pay a special tax as a minority to enjoy the protection of that area. Mm. So with what I've understood from this uh, most recent event is that it was their Sharia jurists who said, we are allowed to let some of these Christians go because we have asked them and said they were not part of the forces fighting against us. And therefore, we cannot kill them. Now, what they're going to do with the rest of these people, whether or not they're going to choose to make another propaganda video like they did in Libya, well, 
That's another matter. What to how to understand what took place in Libya is that that execution took place, and of course this is my conjecture rather than anything I know of their inner workings, is that in their video they made reference to the fact that the Coptic Church as a whole is one that is leading a crusade against Islam. So even though these individuals were far from combatants, they belong to a church that has been trying to, in their opinion, work against the cementing of Islam as a uh, caliphate as a political system and has been actively harming converts to Islam, women converts to Islam, trying to draw them back into the Christian church. A lot of this is rumors and conjecture, and, and really they're just spinning a story to justify what they've done. But the release of the hostages in Syria these days fits with their vision of this is how we as Muslims deal with those under our protection. Uh, we are allowed to let Christians live here, and we are allowed to tolerate them as second-class citizens. But that would be an example, they would say, of the tolerance of Islam, that as long as we rule as a religion and a religious political system, then others can be here. And I think that is how we make sense of what's going on over there, in addition to whatever might be done about you know, inner workings of negotiation between ISIS and other Arab tribes that aren't part of their system, but are trying to negotiate their own survival in speaking up on behalf of their Christian neighbors, while at the same time not trying to make themselves enemies of this power that is now really creeping into their borders, and they have to kind of stay in between, lest they get swept under the rug of their enemies. Wow. That's really good insight just on the kind of the how ISIS works. And I think a lot of people over here are trying to get their heads around just, you know, how to understand ISIS, how, how they operate, how they work, uh, what we should think about them. Uh, a question for me would be, what is the one thing about this situation with ISIS and Christians in the Middle East that perhaps, I guess, the biggest misunderstanding or the biggest thing that maybe Christians in the West don't understand? What Christians in the West don't understand about ISIS? Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, forgive me in the sense of uh, not exactly having my pulse on where Western understanding is of these things, mm -hmm. but I could probably answer the question in this way, in that there does seem to be a dichotomy about how groups in the West speak about ISIS right now. And and I don't mean to say that either one is is, is wrong or correct. There tend to be two viewpoints, if, if this helps answer the question a little bit. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a great uh, debate right now on whether ISIS represents Islam or not. And so if you are among the camp that wants to kind of say with a lot of Western politicians that you know, we are not at war with Islam, we don't even want to talk about Islamic extremism, this group has nothing to do with Islam, they are terrorists, they are criminals, um, we've seen groups like this operate before. Well, there's a lot of criticism about that because, and it's worthy criticism to some degree, because ISIS certainly does represent itself as an authentic version of Islam, in fact, the authentic version mm -hmm. of Islam. So if people are trying to uh, divest that religious element from them and treat them as, as the terrorists we've seen before, even you know, Al-Qaeda-type terrorists, they're making a great mistake because this group is looking to cement itself in territory and expand in very similar ways that the, you know, the caliphates of old had you know, grabbed small amounts of territory and, and then from there on expanded. 
that's the name of the slogan of ISIS right now. It's that we are remaining and expanding. And this is what they encourage each other to say, you know, you can't get rid of us and we're actually going to grow. And they gain their strength from their religious motivation. So we have to be clear we understand what this vision of Islam means and not dismiss it. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, not necessarily a misunderstanding, but it's a closing off of conversation on whenever and Abraham. But if we come to the other group, there is the understanding, um, and sometimes you hear this from, you know, Christians who are very concerned about Islam, even in the West. You'll hear it from Egyptian Christians sometimes who have lived under Islam and, and will say, that is Islam, and we understand it, and we exactly recognize what's going on. Sometimes you'll even hear it from liberal Muslims who are not satisfied with their faith or have walked away from it, but see in ISIS that which they have grown up with and hate the most, and modern Islam in all of its you know, political ways has not been able to tolerate it. People like this who want to equate ISIS with Islam are also making a terrible mistake, mm. because Islam has a great history of jurisprudence. Even Sharia itself is a very nuanced and multifaceted understanding that has dealt with the unique circumstances of the Islamic communities throughout the centuries. And it has changed, and some of its visions are very tolerant, and some of them are very severe. And so everything that ISIS is doing, I shouldn't say everything, because they are rejected by great Islamic scholars in most of their details, but in many points you can go through and you can see what they're doing and how it ties into Islamic history or Islamic jurisprudence. It's in there. So to go back and to allow ISIS to say, this is mentioned in the Syria, or this is mentioned in the Quran, and therefore what we are doing is in fulfillment of that. Well, that's in great ignorance of what Muslims have done throughout the centuries to regulate their own communities and work with divergent Muslim views or even non-Muslim communities. And really, Muslims deserve the respect to say, let's go through our whole history and find out the ways we have dealt with menaces like this in the past and even to draw from our own sources to do so now. And there's a lot of Muslims that work in the world who have done that. There's an open letter to... Uh, their caliph, Baghdadi, on the internet right now with signatories from Muslim leaders around the world that operates in an Islamic framework to say, this is where you are wrong. And it's very detailed. So it's, it's something that people aren't just saying, this is, Islam, this is not Islam because we don't like it. No, they're going through and they're demonstrating why this is not Islam. So I think it depends on which community you most naturally lean to, because there's truth and there's error in both of these reduced, reductionary statements that try to capture the sound bites that are necessary for political debate, but so often that they confuse the issues and they don't really understand, um, you know, what this problem is, where it comes from, and how to address it in both religious and non-religious means. Jason, that's great information. Good stuff for us to really think through. One more question before I let you go, and I really appreciate you joining me. I know uh, it's late there in, in Cairo, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. As we wrap up this conversation, I guess what word would you give to um, North American Western Christians as they're thinking through, as they're processing the news, as they're wanting to to pray and act to help their brothers and sisters overseas? What I guess what advice would you give them? Well, I'll try to pass on the, the advice that, that, that Christian leaders here give, and, and the most obvious is simply to pray. Really, we, we have to leave these things in God's hands. We have to admit that He is sovereign, and that we know that suffering is a part of the Christian faith, 
and and people here know that as well. They don't like it when it happens, but they know that it's from God's will, and they try to turn it around in ways that glorify God among their communities and among their neighbors, so that we would pray that they would find the strength to live out the biblical commands, to to love their enemies, to stay faithful, to make the hard decisions on whether we run away or whether we fight, whether we speak up or whether we accept the you know to pay this special tax, which lowers our political rights, but lets us survive in these ancient communities which we've lived in for so long. These are hard decisions that Christians here are having to make that we in the West are so ignorant of. Um, I guess the second thing that I would say that let me pass on first and then qualify this other statement that Egyptian Christians are certainly making, and I think would be echoed in many other countries of the world, and that is um, support the governments right now that are honoring us. And so right now there's a lot of uh, academic and political frustration with Egypt right now for reasons that are going on uh, with their treatment of the Muslim Brotherhood and other opposition and activists and things like that. Christians are by and large saying, you know, support us, help us to stay strong, help us to resist the terrorism that's going on in our own countries, whether it's influenced by ISIS or not. So I guess let me be faithful to their voices and say, yes, please pray for the governments that exist in these countries as they try to navigate all of the, the challenges that are almost unprecedented, really, in this region, where states are disintegrating and communities are imploding, and these new non-state actors are causing havoc throughout you know, the regions and the cities. So we do need to see stability. We need to see a, a commitment to, to freedom and to human dignity in a lot of these regions. And some of that, they would say, is support our governments that are trying to hold things together as a lot of things are falling apart. Now, if you would allow me to qualify that just a little bit, um, that is how Egyptian Christians and, and other regional Christians are interpreting these events. But I think Western Christians have an obligation to look at it a little bit differently, in that be very careful about how you make your political judgments of what's happening. And that is, let there be great prayer for the Christians of this community, let there be great sympathy, let there be, be aid to the degrees possible. But I know that Christians here are very frustrated, and they're also very concerned that they can become pawns in an international game, that other people, other countries will use to intervene to further their agendas in this region. And so whether that is done by Western military powers or uh, oil interests or things like this, I would advise Western Christians to be very thoughtful about what they would recommend that our governments mm-hmm. do to help. And and when you pray for our governments and when you pray for the governments of, of countries over here, be very cautious to pray for any particular outcome, but just that God would give wisdom to these leaders to do what is right. Because there are many, many actors who are who don't care about what's right and are manipulating circumstances mm-hmm. and agendas to further their interests. And and that is Christians, we know that even our, our Christian leaders in government have very difficult decisions yeah. to make. Um, there are issues of sovereignty, there are issues of war. And and how do you process this? Well, we have to give it to God, and we have to ask Him to to bring peace to this world and to bring peace to our brothers and sisters in the churches that we are now finally beginning to discover are actually part of this body of Christ as well. 
Thank you so much, Jason. That's such a good word. Pray for wisdom for leaders here, for leaders overseas. That's such a good word, and uh, we'll we'll do our best to do that. And I want to thank you, Jason, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for your really good journalism on Christianity Today and other places of reporting uh, from these the Middle East on on plight of Christians and just all kinds of developments over there. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, it's been my pleasure joining you, and, and I appreciate you reaching out and, and letting me uh, represent this region well. Well, I want to thank Jason Casper joining us from Cairo, Egypt. He joined us uh, late at night there, and I really appreciate his time and his insight and his willingness to come on the podcast. I really encourage you to go to my website, danieldarling.com, click on the podcast page. I'm going to put links to some of Jason's articles for Christianity Today. I really encourage you to to read those or even go to Christianity Today's website and do a search for Jason Casper. His insight is really good and it's unique and it's a little bit different than what you're going to see on some of the standard news sites just because he's really reporting from the perspective of these uh, Christians in the Middle East, Coptic Christians and others who are imperiled by the threat of ISIS and kind of what's going on in those communities. So I encourage you to go to danieldarling.com and to check out the podcast page and uh, some of those show notes and find out more about Jason and more about his work. But for now, thank you for joining the Way Home Podcast. You've been listening to The Way Home Podcast. For show notes, more information about Dan Dan or the ERLC, please visit danieldarling.com. This episode has been brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Thanks for listening.